0: Um, we probably haven't met before, but I imagine that there are many in the uh, room today that have whose lives have gone in a similar path as mine. Um, I was raised in Pittsburgh. I am uh, the youngest of four daughters to uh, two parents who were loving and cared for me and my sisters. Um, I had dreams like I think many of us girls do when we're young, of having a career and meeting the right guy and raising a family. I had it all planned, the names of my children and how many I was going to have. Early in my life, I um, I was very shy um, and I, very insecure, and I made some poor choices of looking for reassurance that I was good enough, pretty enough, um, worthy enough, by seeking the physical affection of young, young men. Um, and that promiscuity had many devastating impacts for me and for the men that I was involved in. But the most significant one, the most devastating, was that it resulted in an unplanned pregnancy. And at age 22, I found that I was pregnant, unmarried, and some of you may know that feeling of instant panic that feeling of shame and overwhelm how could I have this baby I'm not married I I didn't know what to do I didn't talk to my parents I didn't talk to my sisters I didn't talk to my friends I didn't talk to anyone I was so ashamed and so afraid I was raised a Catholic, I I knew Jesus, I knew who he was, but I didn't follow Jesus at that time in my life, so I didn't turn to him or to my priest either. What I did was I went to an abortion clinic and had an abortion. And in those few hours, my life was changed forever. That procedure, as it's referred to, was physically painful, but it was worse than that. It was demoralizing, it was paralyzing, and horrifying. But, but more than that, my abortion ended the life of my child. I never told anyone. I drove myself to the clinic, I drove myself home, I never told anyone about that. And because I never sought healing, a few years later, there was another unplanned pregnancy and another abortion. And then a few years after that, there was a third, unplanned pregnancy, and another abortion. And each time, repeating this cycle, this pattern, not telling anyone, driving myself, handling it on my own, and going through that traumatic experience. Each time I... Picked myself up the next day and went back to work. I was in the banking field. I was, uh, had a rising career. And I picked up my life as if nothing was changed, that nothing was wrong. Now, some of you in the audience may be wondering, as I often have, how could this have happened? I was a good girl raised with all kinds of privileges and opportunity. I, w- I was raised to know Jesus, and yet three times— You might wonder, how did I just pick up my life and and not do anything about it, not tell anyone? And you might feel that I was heartless. But the truth is, I was heartbroken. I had lost three children, the only children that I would ever have to abortion. And no matter how much I tried to perform and succeed in my career, I could never be good enough. It was like I could never make up for the horrible things that I had done. My relationships, I went through one relationship after another. I I married and had a really difficult marriage and ended up eventually divorcing. I knew that there was something wrong with me, and some of you might understand this. I wasn't, I couldn't quite make that connection. I didn't know what to do, and I carried this all silently myself until one day, just like today i was in a church service and there was a an announcement of a rachel's vineyard retreat and i felt like the spotlight was on me and everybody in the room knew that that was in there for me and of course that's ridiculous but i was so shocked that there could be healing there could be help for someone like me and i know with absolute certainty that it was the holy spirit that enabled me to pick up that phone and reach out and make the call and eventually get myself to that Rachel's Vineyard program. And I was met by women and men who cared about me, who accepted me, who heard my story and loved me and showed me the arms and the eyes and the mouths of Christ. I learned why I was... Subject to being so promiscuous and why why did I feel like I had to handle this on my own? Why didn't I why didn't I turn to Jesus? And I I learned that Jesus died on the cross for me. That no sin not even my sin of abortion which I thought was the They were the unforgivable sins that even those were not too big for the redemption of the blood of Christ. And in that Rachel's Vineyard retreat I also came to develop a relationship with my children. They weren't just a procedure. They weren't just um, a bad time in my life or a poor decision. They were my children, my flesh and blood. And I came to understand that they're living with Jesus in heaven and that one day I will be united with them. I named my children Anne, James, and Jane. And so now I was able to... Process the grief that I had, and it has been deep. And the regret has been profound. But Jesus met me there in that retreat, and he will meet you there too. And I'm not just talking to the women in the room. I'm talking to the men who have lost your son and your daughter through abortion. And I'm talking to the parents of the young woman or the young man who came to them looking for help because they were pregnant and you thought you were making the right decision guiding them to an abortion you wanted the best for them and it was your granddaughter or your grandson that was aborted i wish my life had been different i wish that i had made other choices i wish i had had the faith to turn to jesus but i didn't and it was too late couldn't change my past but Jesus changed my future and he is waiting to change yours too it's time it's time it's time to end the confusion and the justification it's time to stop swirling in the guilt and shame and it's time to step forward in faith and Jesus will meet you there and he will save you like he saved me and he will change your life and I have a life now knowing Jesus as I do that is better than anything I imagined as a little girl. So it's time, brothers, sisters, it's time. Several of us will be available in the chapel. I'll be in the concourse. We'll be praying for you that you might have the courage to step out. It's time.
1: We see images of, of your grace and your sovereignty, your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that when it is in your will to heal us, God, that you do so. You heal our physical needs. But, Lord, we thank you that you are willing to always heal our spiritual needs. We thank you for these men that cast their friend at your feet and said, Lord, he's yours. Only you can fix this. And we thank you, God, in a a way of sovereignty, in a way of just awesomeness. you, You did an amazing miracle in this encounter, God. And so we pray as we uh, dive into your word this morning, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to our minds and and speak to us in exactly the way that you want to speak to us, Lord, not what we want to hear, but what you want to say to us. So give us ears to hear what you have to say, God. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Boy, amen, church. You can go ahead and grab a seat. My name's Jamie Kendrew and I'm uh, glad to be here. Thanks, Destin, for that. Uh, what a powerful service so far. I, I really hope I don't mess this up. <laughs> uh, because God's really speaking, and, and, and what a powerful testimony uh, that we just heard. We all have our story, don't we? We all have our stuff, our encounters, our moments that we go through, and, and we're in the middle of a series called Encounters with Christ, and this morning we find ourselves uh, face-to-face with Jesus in this moment with, with this paralytic man. And all too often we read the story of the paralytic man and we think, what a great story of, of Jesus and him healing a guy. But do you know that's actually really only part of this story? In fact, it's not even the main point of the story. Because the main point of this, the story this morning is the fact that they knew where to take this man to the Almighty, to Jesus. The point of this entire story is to say, Jesus truly is the Son of God. And we'll dive into that in a minute. Back in 2013, I heard an awesome story. And, and I used the word awesome in a very revering kind of way. It, it brought tears to my eyes. It, it was a story that really just welled up in me. And as I was even studying this story again uh, for this sermon, it just, it's a great story. Uh, there's a little boy... Uh, from San Francisco area, he's in Northern California, by the name of Miles Scott. Miles was diagnosed at the age of 18 months uh, with with a form of leukemia, and his life was not going to be long. And so as as things didn't seem to be going well for Miles, his parents asked the question of Miles, if you could do one thing, what would you do? Now he's five, and we can all imagine what would come out of the mouth of a five-year-old in this moment. But Miles made this statement. I wish I was Batman. And I wish I could save Gotham City. And so what happens next is just this incredible story of Miles Scott because you see the police chief and the governor the mayor of San Francisco got a hold of this through Make a Wish and they said, "Hey, we're on board. We want to help. We want to help out. We want to make this little kid's dreams come true." And so on May, uh, I think it was May 13th, 2013, Miles Scott gets a call from Batman. And when he gets this call from Batman, he receives this message from the, from the police chief of San Francisco. Not an actor, but the actual police chief saying, Batman, we need you and we need Batboy. And so what ends up happening is, is Make-A-Wish created this, 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 this beautiful thing that took place in San Francisco. They got not only the, the, the police chief on board, they got the mayor, they got city officials, they, got, uh, they asked for 200 volunteers to step forward to make this little boy's dream come true. They got 20,000 they hired actors from Hollywood to play the characters of the Riddler. They hired a stuntman to actually be Batman. They got a Ferrari for this kid to drive around in all day long. is the Batmobile. This Batman's riding in better style than the Batman I know. And it's so they, they, they then went to CNN and they said, Hey, we're not asking you to cover this as a feel-good story. We want you to cover the fact that Batman's saving Gotham City. Can, can you do that? And maybe some of you have seen these reports, either on the news or even on CNN. They covered it, breaking news, bad kid saving Gotham City. They didn't do it as a ruse, but they they put it out over the airwaves. And so that night when this little boy had this experience, he went home and saw himself on CNN. He came home to a message from the President of the United States of America. And he said, I want to congratulate you on saving Gotham City. Throughout the day, Miles would go on an adventure where, where the Riddler would break into banks. And there was explosions and there was stuff happening. And this, these were like banks downtown. And it was amazing because all of San Francisco seemed to rally around the cause of bringing this dying little boy hope and joy. I want to encourage you to, to go home and type in bat Kid. Uh, save San Francisco on your computer and be prepared to cry a lot. Because it is absolutely amazing the lengths that an entire city went to to bring a kid who was dying joy. When the Make-A-Wish Foundation was asked about the story, um, they said, ideally, what we would love to bring is life to every one of our patients. But we can't. And it's sad, isn't it? Isn't it? Don't you just wish you had the cure? Don't you just wish you had something that you could make all the pain go away? See, we're in the same type of story this morning. And you're probably seeing where I'm going with this. Because as believers in Christ, we do have a solution to the ultimate problem. We sang these songs this morning about healing and being cured. And I want you to know that when it is in God's will for you to be healed, you will be healed. But it's not always in God's will for you to be healed. And that's not popular and people don't like to hear that. But sometimes we suffer to the glory of God. And so I don't want us to blindly just stand here and say that if you pray hard enough, God's going to give you a million dollars in a Ferrari because that's not where we come from. If we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our hearts will align with the things that please Him. And sometimes in our pain and death, we will bring Him greater glory than in our easiness of life. Is that making sense? It's not always easy to hear, but it's truth. So we move to our scripture passage this morning. And you know what makes me laugh? I just told you this little story about this little boy, There's always somebody out there that wants to pick a fight, right? Can you believe when I was studying this story that there's an entire blog site dedicated to about how awful that was to to, to put that kind of taxing on the city and to ask the city to do that? Give me a break. (laughs) If that's where your heart goes and stuff like that, we have counseling for you here at the church. (laughs) And, And I'm okay with saying that because we should be living for joyous and gracious moments. Amen, church? All right, let's dig into the Bible here a little bit because we got a great story this morning. And and again, I want to remind you, we use the word story and we may say the name character. These are real people and real events that took place in history. Jesus is kind of coming into his ministry and he decides, hey, look, there's a paralytic guy over there. Or not a paralytic, excuse me, a man with leprosy. Watch this. And he heals this man with leprosy. He tells the man with leprosy. I've just healed you. I don't want you to tell anybody about it. When something happens with church folks, they know how to do anything but be quiet, right? So what happens is, is he heals this paralytic man. The paralytic man then goes and tells everybody. I use, or excuse me, leprosy. I'm on the leprosy guy first. Okay. He heals this guy with leprosy, and the guy goes and he tells everything, everybody, like, I have been healed from leprosy. Look at me. My, my fingers aren't coming off anymore. I'm good. And Jesus says, I want you to go to the temple, and I want you to be cleansed, and I want you to go through the, the ceremonies of, of, of what you're supposed to do. And so imagine, you know a man has leprosy. He shows up in the temple. The, the priests and the, and, the, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're, they're starting to wonder, okay, this guy legitimately had leprosy. Something has happened. What happened to you? Jesus. Well, who's Jesus. And so we find ourselves in a moment where all of these teachers of the law and these Pharisees, they're they're not really picking a fight at Jesus yet, to be real honest. There's a lot of them that are just very curious at this moment. They want to figure out, how did he do this? Because clearly there's some type of authority, there's some type of power with this man. It just doesn't seem to make sense because we're the teachers of the law, we're the Pharisees, we're supposed to be the ones speaking for God, not this punk kid from Galilee. So they show up at this house to hear Jesus teach and to preach. And while they're there, words continuing to spread of this man from Galilee who can heal people. And these four guys get together, and, they, and, and and this isn't scriptural, this is just me kind of interjecting the story. Let's get our buddy, you know, that guy that can't walk, and let's take him to Jesus. And so, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Luke 5, verse 17. And it says this, one day as he was teaching the Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there and the power of the Lord was present uh, for him to he- the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick and so some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Imagine this. Imagine this in our society today. If somebody is, is injured and somebody's trying to bring them into a house, we would, this is just good people skills. Like, we would let them get in, right? So Jesus must be saying something that's very powerful that they just shut this guy out. I'm not giving you my spot because I want to hear what this guy has to say. There's something mighty, there's something powerful, there's something that you shouldn't be interrupting taking place right now inside this house. Nobody has time for you and your broken friend, so please wait outside. So it continues on by saying this, Some men carrying a paralytic on a mat tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. And they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now think about that. That's crazy. I mean, we've heard the snow slide off the roofs, right? And I wish you could all see it from my perspective because it's like, like, it's like a, a flash mob. You all go... Like this. There's this instantaneous like movement. Everybody pays attention to what's happening. And, and, and imagine if there's people on the roof of the church with claw hammers digging into the metal on the roof, and we see this light come gaping down through. And all of a sudden, as the teacher's up here, we see plop, paralytic all over the stage. <laughs> I mean, think about this as, as humanly as you can. This is weird. This is wild. There's Jesus, and we saw that beautiful reenactment of it, but it says in scriptures that they dropped him right in front of Jesus. Can you imagine that? What, what were these guys thinking? Did they know what was going to happen? Did they know that Jesus would heal him? No, they had no idea what was going to take place. But what we do see in scriptures is is a sick and injured brother who had some friends that cared so much about him that they weren't going to let any man-made thing stand in between them and the one that they knew who could fix the problem. They were willing to tear holes in the roof so that their friend could be healed. I'm sure that, what would your homeowner's insurance look like on that? Is this an act of God? I mean, think about that. So Jesus' response, oh, I love him. Mm -mm -mm." He doesn't get mad. He doesn't say, who's going to fix that? He doesn't get annoyed with the guy and say, get out of the way. I'm trying to do my thing here. He doesn't say, I'm trying to teach the rich people right now. Can you scoot your poor butt over? He doesn't say any of that. What does he say to the man? He says, friend. He doesn't say, hey, you. He doesn't say Skippy. He doesn't give him a nickname that's awful. He says friend. Jesus takes ownership of the guy. He says friend. Your sins are forgiven. I mean, now put yourself in the shoes of the paralytic. Fud. You're dropped in the middle of all the Pharisees, teachers of the law, people who are important of the day, and there's Jesus right in front of you. This guy can't get words out. He's on center stage in front of Jesus. I'm in so much trouble right now. And he's met with these words, friend. And then he says this to this man, your sins are forgiven. Why did his friends bring him here? They didn't bring him here so he could have a spiritual moment. They brought him here to fix his legs. And Jesus says these words, your sins are forgiven. As people, we tend to really focus on our physical needs. But I'm going to tell you, there's a greater need in every one of our lives. And it's the things spiritual. It's the things eternal. And I don't care how healthy you are. If your spiritual life is a mess, if your sins are not forgiven, you are dead already. Plop. Paralytic. My friend, your sins are forgiven. Well, there's Jesus and amongst the teachers and the Pharisees and and all these people who should know better. Now, let me ask you a question. If Pastor Robbie comes up on the stage and punches me in the face and then I say, Robbie, I forgive you, that means something, right? It's beautiful. Two brothers just forgave. I forgave him and there's healing. But if Brad Labocken comes up and punches Robbie in the face and I say you're forgiven, what does that mean? Nothing, because the offense wasn't at me. And here's this man from Galilee looking at this guy saying, your sins are forgiven? This guy didn't, according to what the Pharisees think at this moment, this guy didn't sin against you, Galilean. He, he sinned against God. And, and if he sinned against somebody else, well, you're surely not that man. There's always those naysayers, aren't there? Because you see, they didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. They didn't believe he was the son of God. And so now this knucklehead is saying, your sins are forgiven. It's not his place to say sins are forgiven. The word continues on and says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking of themselves, who is this fellow? Now, when they use that word fellow, that's like a slap in the face. Who is this common man? Who is this guy, this dude? It's not, an, it's not an affectionate term. It's not a, a noble term. It's not a term of endearment like the word rabbi is. They call him this fellow who speaks blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God? Jesus knew what they were thinking. Do you ever feel like your wife knows what you're thinking? I do. I feel like my wife can read my mind. I'm scared a lot. And here's the Pharisees. They're thinking these things in their heart. They're not actually saying these things out loud. And Jesus doesn't even wait for them to open their mouth. He responds to their heart. Because, you know, Jesus knows our heart. Just as the paralytic man said nothing, he knows our heart. Just as the men on the roof, who probably didn't put a whole lot of thought into the fact that they were ripping a hole in the roof and throwing their friend in the hole, they just knew that Jesus was there. God saw their heart. Just as God sees the dark heart of the Pharisee and the teacher of the law right now, he says these words. And this would freak me out if I'm thinking something, something in my head and somebody answers me. I mean, Jesus says, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus does another masterful thing in that sentence. He uses the phrase, Son of Man. He starts out by saying, well, what would be easier, for me to forgive the guy's sins or for me to say, get up and walk? He says, the Son of Man has come... And when he says that word son of man, to us, we know the church We know that he's the son of God. We know that he came from God. But to the Jew of that day, when he says the word son of man, he's making a direct reference to Daniel 7, which basically states this. It says that one day the son of man will come. He will be sent to heal both spiritual and physical needs. It's a prophecy of Isaiah, of Daniel. It's a prophecy that is spoken about Jesus. And so when Jesus says this to the teachers of the law, he's speaking their language. He said something that punched them right in the gut because he just claimed to be the very son of God whom they've heard about. What do you say to that, Pharisees? He said and says, well, what would be easier for me to forgive the man's spiritual need, which is ultimately the greatest need? You know that's the greatest need in your life, church, the spiritual needs. He says, should I forgive that or should I just say, get up and take your mat and walk home, knowing that he's still going to die without the spiritual healing that he needs? This is a great passage about the sovereignty of God, by the way. And I want to encourage you to continue to study it. So Jesus says, get up and walk, but you, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth uh, to forgive sins. You see, Jesus was using this moment to glorify God. Did you catch that? The paralytic man and his four buddies really aren't even the point of the story anymore. They're just kind of front row to what's happening between the Pharisees and Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm going to do this to bring the Father glory so that you may know I have authority to do what God wants me to do jesus then says this and i love it because he's so sassy with the pharisees he said to the paralyzed man i tell you get up take your mat and go home if that's what it's going to take for you pharisees to see check this out get your mat and go home and so not only did jesus answer his spiritual need he met his physical need the man got up he took his mat and he went home says, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone, it says everyone. It doesn't say not the Pharisees. It says everyone. Did you catch that? Even the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were amazed by what they had seen and gave praise to God. It's interesting how this story unfolds. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things here today. We see big, really three sermons here, don't we, church? When we look at it, we see that we all need good friends in our lives. Amen. I hope that in my moment of need that I have four friends who would be willing to rip the roof off of something, to rip the, just tear down man-made structures so that I might have the encounter with the king. You hope you have those kind of friends, don't you? Do you know the Bible says do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And if you need to know where that's at, it's Luke 6, 3, 31. It's not just some proverb your mom said. <laughs> it's biblical. And if we desire to have friends like that as believers, we need to be friends like that. We need to be willing to go the distance for our brothers and sisters in Christ and do some ridiculous things for the sake of the kingdom. We need to be willing to tear holes in the roof so that we can help somebody come to the feet of Jesus. Now, what happens at that moment is between God and that person. We're not responsible for that. But we're called to love one another. It tells us in the Bible that there's no greater love that we could have than to lay our lives down for our friends. Jesus called us friend, Jesus called the paralytic friend. How are you as a friend? Are you loyal? Are you forgiving? Are you a good friend? second real little sermonette we see in here is that Jesus is concerned about healing us physically, but he's more concerned about healing us spiritually. The internal spiritualness is more of a focus. God cares about us. He loves us. He loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. And I want you to know that Jesus does not just heal your spiritual wounds. He will heal your your, your, your um, Earthly wounds as well. I think when we heard Jane share her story, oh my goodness, when she talked about naming her children, how heart-wrenching is that? To, To mourn the loss of the three children that she had always wanted because of something she had done. It's so often that we get caught up in in the things that we have done in this life and we can't forgive ourselves. But listen to me. If God has touched you spiritually, He wants you to just forget about the other stuff that you've already confessed to Him. He wants to heal your hurts as well. He wants to heal you spiritually. He wants to heal you physically. And again, for some of us, the will of God is to suffer. And for some of us, the will of God is... Is to have all of our physical needs completely healed. I hope you understand what I'm saying, and if you if you want to talk about that, I'm more than glad to sit down and talk with you because it's very confusing. It can be, especially if you're the one hurting. But trust me, God loves you. He wants to see the best for you according to His will. We want to be good friends. We want to have good friends. Jesus forgives us of our sins, and He heals us of our physicalness. He heals us of our humanity, one might say. And the third thing that we see is that Jesus absolutely 100% had the authority to say and to do the things that he said and did. Because Jesus, not just being man, was also fully God. Fully God, fully man. He is the Son of God. He is who the prophets spoke about. And Jesus had the authority to do the things that he did. And you know what I love about these four guys that ripped a hole in the roof? Is they knew where to go. They knew that there was nothing that they could do. The paralytic, sitting there mercifully in front of Jesus, probably pretty humiliated, laying on a crumpled mattress that his buddies just tossed from a ceiling. He knew there was nothing he could say. There was nothing that he could do to earn the affection and merit of God. The only thing that could take place was for Jesus to say, Friend, I forgive you. God loves you as much now as he ever will. and He wants to forgive you. He wants to heal you according to his purpose and his plan. Because he has the authority to do so. Let me ask you this question. We love the story of the little boy who this great pageant is created for him. He is Bat Kid. And he's saving Gotham City. We go to great lengths to create pageantry, to make people feel like it's going to be okay. When we as Christians really can show them the one who can make it okay. And unfortunately, we spend so much more time, and I want you to hear me, I am not bashing what they did for that little boy at all. If if you hear me saying that, you're not listening, because I think it was awesome in the truest sense of the word. But as Christians, we've got to believe that these temporary things, they may be okay, but they're only going to put the pain off for a certain period of time. But when we throw people at the feet of Jesus, God will work His will in their life. He will do His thing, and they will be made right according to His will. Amen? Are you willing to rip the roof off for your friends? Are you willing to root the the man-made structures down so that someone may have an encounter, a face-to-face meeting with Jesus? My prayer is yes. And for each one of us, that's going to look very different. But the Bible, after all, does tell us, be strong and courageous and know that I am your God. And the only thing you've got to do is be still and let me do my thing, is what God says to us. You going to rip the roof off, church? Or are you going to sit outside and watch your friends die? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your sovereignty, and the fact that you love us as much now as you ever will, God. And you desire to have a relationship with us, and you hurt with us, God. But you can make it all better according to your will and according to your purpose. God, help us to not put man-made things in between us and you. Help us to surrender. Help us to, to be those friends that we need to be. And help us to accept the help of others when we need that as well, God. For you did create us to be in community with one another. You created us for fellowship. So, God, we give you this morning. We thank you for, for healing. We thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. In your name we pray. Amen.